Well, that's pretty cool, huh? One year today. That's uh, how, how many of you were here on that first Sunday, right? A few of us were here on that first Sunday. It was outdoors, and one of those, uh, out of those five services, if you recall, one was pouring down rain. Two weeks later, it was like 125 degrees or something. Or it wasn't 125, but it was literally like 112 or something like that. It, was, it felt like. It didn't matter. Right? Once you get like past 110, it's all the same, kind of, I, I would think. But Anyway, here we are uh, a year later. We're so uh, grateful for God's goodness uh, to us over the last year. Amen? We have, uh, we're going to have cupcakes to celebrate afterwards that are delicious. And uh, I haven't tried them yet. But I know the people who made them, and they're delicious, I'm sure. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to have a party and uh, eat some of those later and, and uh, get to know each other a little bit better, okay? So uh, for today, we are in our series, Peace of Mind. We're in week two of this series. And uh, we're really going to be talking today about healing our anxiousness or our anxious minds that sometimes we can have. Anybody in here ever deal with an anxious mind? Somebody's hand went up immediately before I even finished saying that. So uh, prayers for, for you, uh, sister. So, okay, we, uh, we have minds that run, tend to run over and over and over and over things, right? Uh, Classic overthinkers, right? I, I, I'm kind of there at times with you. Things will run uh, through my mind that uh, I might see or things that have happened in the past or things that might happen in the future. Anybody else ever mind their mind runs on those things, what might be in the future, right? You don't, it's not even here yet. It might not even happen. And you're like, man, I got to think about that, you know? Uh, and so, uh, maybe, you know, that's just kind of the, the way that it is. And we get uh, anxious pretty, uh, pretty quickly. Um, I'm going to tell a few stories today. Is that okay? You can tell stories. All right. That means we're going to go longer. Okay, so now, do, is that okay? No. <laughs> so here's the deal. Uh, I remember in our, our first outing into ministry, we were heading to a small town uh, called Riddle, Oregon. Anybody know where Riddle, Oregon is? Come on now, man, that is a lot of you guys. Man, that is amazing. And, uh, and so I remember we had uh, given our information, sent it off to the church because we knew there was, a, there was an opening for an associate pastor. So we'd sent them our information, and, uh, and we didn't hear back from them for a while. And so we were living in Tigard uh, at the time. We had moved back up from Eugene, and we were living in Tigard. And it was about four months later that we got a response from Pastor Don uh, and Susan down in Riddle. And, uh, and they said, hey, we want to talk to you guys about coming here and being on staff. And it's like, Ugh. We just moved back up to Tigard after living in Eugene. It's like, man, we're going to be playing ping, pinball, you know, or something like that. And so, uh, and so anyway, we talked, and they said, hey, why don't you come down and, uh, and visit? Just check out this town. You're, you know, our, we love Riddle. And I remember specifically that they said there's, a, um, there's one of the, uh, what are those things called in the middle of town? Uh, what? A gazebo. Yeah, there's a gazebo in the middle of town. And, and it's a white gazebo, and it's in this middle place in town. It's just really beautiful, you know. And so, listen, I'm, I have in my life been known to watch a Hallmark movie or two. And, uh, you know, if any of any, nobody, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because nobody's going to raise their hand, okay? So, uh, but I used to watch a Hallmark movie or two. And let me tell you, in a Hallmark movie or two, small town life is the most amazing thing ever, right? 
Like, it's just like, wow, why wouldn't somebody want to leave the big city and go to the small town and live there, you know, because their car broke down right outside of town, right? So that, that's, you know, you're just thinking about that. And so anyway, we, we had this picture in our mind about what Riddle, Oregon was like, and we were like, man, we've we never been down there, but we're excited. So we went down, and uh, they picked us up in Canyonville where we had spent the night, and they drove us over the hill into Riddle. And when we got into Riddle, we saw what Riddle, Oregon looked like. And uh, it was not what we had envisioned in our mind uh, when we had, were thinking about, you know, the small town life. And the gazebo was literally in this little grassy patch that was the only grassy patch in downtown Riddle. <laughs> and it was not the most beautiful gazebo you could ever imagine in your mind. But, you know, but we were driving through there and they took us through there and then drove us over to Myrtle Creek where we actually saw, I think, uh, one, a subway. And we were like, they have something we recognize down here, right? So we were like, okay. So anyway, we spent the, the weekend with them. We drove back up. And on our way back up, we were talking to ourselves. We were like, there's no way we can go there, right? We were, we were just chatting. We were like, there's no way we could go there. We can't picture ourselves in life there. There's no way we could go there. And we went back, and we, uh, we were, um, were at home for the next few weeks, and, and neither of us could stop thinking about the fact that God wanted us to go there. And we were like, no way. And so we finally connected and we said, you know, we don't have a choice. We have to go there, right? So, so we go down to, and, and let me just say, thinking about living in Riddle uh, while God was putting it on our hearts to go there was very, it made us very anxious, okay? Like we were, we didn't know what it would look like there. We did not know. But we decided, you know, that we had to go there, that if we said no, we would be disobeying what God wanted us to do. And, uh, and actually, we were there for two and a half years, and it became a wonderful place that we loved uh, deeply. The people there uh, and the, the area, we actually grew to love it, and, uh, and so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun uh, over the long haul. But at first, we were very, very anxious. And so here's the reality, too. When we got there, uh, it was literally like two months into our time of being on staff there that Pastor Don uh, talks to me, and, and he let us know that they were going to go on a sabbatical for eight weeks. And, uh, and so here we were coming to this town that we really didn't know and, uh, and coming on staff where we hadn't been on staff anywhere before. And we then get the news that they're going to go on an eight-week sabbatical. And, man, I'll just tell you right now, uh, that anxious level went like up, you know, it, was, it went up several notches because we didn't really know the people in the church. Are they going to accept us? Are they going to, you know, like all these things go through your mind. And so we were uh, extremely anxious about that. And let me just say, they had been there for quite some time uh, and not had a sabbatical. So, uh, so I was happy for them, <laughs> super happy for them to go, sort of, right? Uh, and, but they, uh, they decided that they needed to go. And, and frankly, they did need to, uh, to go and, and rest and, and recoup. And so, uh, but that left me in a very anxious position uh, for those eight weeks of what I was going to talk about and are people going to even accept us and all these questions that go through our minds, thinking ahead to what might happen, right? And so inevitably, uh, if you're a believer in here, the verse that always comes to mind when you're feeling anxious about anything is what? Philippians 4, 4 through 6, right? And what does that say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, right? That's the first part of that, of verse 6, right? That, that, so do not be anxious about ev- anything. And so 
I'm just thinking to myself uh, as I read this, and throughout life, maybe you've asked yourself the same question. Like, is it even possible to be anxious about no thing? Right? Is it even possible to not be anxious about things? And, I mean, if you think about the list of things to be anxious about, it's quite lengthy, don't you think? Like, you know, family, uh, kids, anybody? Family, kids, friends, maybe you're anxious about making friends, or maybe you're anxious because you have too many friends and, and they always want all your time, you know, or maybe whatever it is for you. You're thinking about money and you have, you know, am I going to be able to have money? What Am, am I going to have money when I retire? Am I going to, you know, all these things about money. Uh, your time, I don't have enough time, or maybe I have too much time, right? I don't know. There's, it could be different for everyone. Our health, my health is, you know, do I have good health? Is it going to stay, am I going to stay healthy in the long run? Uh, you know, am I going to have a job uh, in the long run? You know, my work is stressing me out. I'm anxious about that. Uh, or, you know, inflation uh, might stress you out. Uh, you know, the gas prices might stress you out. I mean, I could go on and on uh, about all kinds of things. But the list is lengthy, don't you think, of things we could be anxious about? And so today... If your mind deals with anxiousness, I just want to let you know you're not alone in that, okay? You're not alone in that if you are anxious and your mind runs on these things frequently. In fact, uh, statistics tell us that two-thirds of Americans say they're anxious or else that they are extremely anxious in life. And that is actually true uh, to an even greater degree among younger generations. And so for some, it's uh, an occasional uh, uneasiness and stress or maybe in social uh, situations. And then for others, it can be crippling, right? It can be a really big problem, a crippling problem, uh, and, and it's crushing to that individual. Uh, but again, all who deal with it, let me just say this morning that you're not alone, and if you deal with it, that God cares about that, that God cares. And you may think, well, I don't know if he cares about it or not, but he does care about it. And so let's pray and we're going to talk through uh, a scripture here for the rest of the time. So, Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you're here with us. Thank you, God, that when we come to you, we can um, put our focus on you. We can put our worship on you. We can get into your word, and we can read, and we can learn, and we can grow. I'm so grateful that as we do that, God, you're going to speak to us, and you're going to uh, change us in the ways that we need to be changed. And sometimes it's just a matter of changing our focus back to you from the issues and problems of this life. And so, Lord, we are grateful that you're here among us as we gather today. In Jesus' name, amen. Who knows who Jehoshaphat was? Um, few of you. Uh, if you ever watched Little House on the Prairie, anybody? Anybody ever watched Little House on the Prairie? Reverend Alden's horse was named what? Jehoshaphat. All right. But that's not who I'm talking about today. Jehoshaphat was the, and we have all of the seasons of, of uh, Little House on the Prairie. So just throwing that out there today. Uh, Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah, uh, the southern kingdom of Israel, right? The divided kingdom. The northern was Israel. The bottom was Judah. And so uh, it was united for uh, three kings, and then it was divided after that for the remainder. First uh, Kings twenty two forty two tells us that uh, Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he took over as king, and that he reigned for 25 years from 873 to 848 B.C., 
Second uh, Chronicles tells us that he followed the ways of King David and sought the commands of God and even sent men throughout the kingdom to teach people the law of God, right? So he would send people out to teach the nation the laws of God. And you can find that in 2 Chronicles 17, 7 through 9. In 2 Chronicles 20, we see that Jehoshaphat and Judah get surrounded by three different nations, okay? Now, there's the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meonites that surround, uh, that surround them, and they're going to uh, get together and attack Judah, right? Now, this becomes a pretty great burden and source of anxiety for Jehoshaphat uh, because of these multiple nations that are coming together to come against them. Uh, and so I just want to say this. Here's the deal. A- anxiety is going to try to occupy your mind when times get difficult right? Like, just know that right now, that anxiety is going to try to rise up and occupy your mind and your thinking when times get difficult. And so, if you feel a little bit anxious about something, here's what you need to know. It's, it's not like you are committing some great sin if you feel anxious about things, right? So, understand this today. It's not a sin to feel anxious about things because quite, that's quite natural for all of us uh, for that to take place. It's just a matter of what we do with that anxiousness, okay? What do we do with the anxiousness? That's the biggest question that we have to look at today and answer. And so when anxiety rises up, it's a strong signal that it's time to pray, wouldn't you think? It's a strong signal it's time to pray. You know, I've told you before, uh, we talk, I talked about this a few weeks ago, um, about the difficulties that we had up in the Seattle area when we were pastoring up there. And, and I've, I've been pretty transparent about this, but there were times that um, there were times that I would wake up in the middle of the night because of those difficulties, just like my body was pulsating with stress and anxiety. And I just remember there was times I'd wake up, you know, usually is two to three o'clock hour or something. And man, it would just be like pulsating and I'd be sweating and, and I was laying there and I'd, uh, uh, you know, I would just be thinking like, God, please do something about this, you know? And, uh, and so my battle plan became uh, breathe really deeply and pray until you go back to sleep. That was my battle plan. It was the only way I could get back to sleep and find some peace each and every night when I would wake up that way was to begin to just breathe deeply and pray that God would, uh, would take that anxiety from me and that I'd be able to go back to sleep. And, you know, I did every night. But it wasn't always easy, and it didn't always happen immediately. Uh, and so I would just pray for as long as it took in order to go back to bed uh, because there was just such stress and anxiety uh, that I was walking through. And it was physically taking a big toll, right? And so maybe you've been in a situation like that as well where you've felt those things too. What we see in, uh, in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3, is that Jehoshaphat was, depending upon the translation that you might have in front of you, uh, afraid terrified, alarmed, or fear. And, uh, and the ESV reads it like this. Um, verse 3 says, "Then jo- well, here, I'll just read it from verse 1, okay? How about that? After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and some of the people from the Meonites uh, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazen Tamar, that is in Gedi. Uh, and then verse 3 here says, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid 
and set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. Right? So the word here used in the ESV uh, is yare. It's called yare. Everybody know how to roll their R's? Yare, right? So uh, that's the word here. The Hebrew word here is yare, and it means a, to, uh, to be fearful or dreadful, to be very much afraid. And in his anxiousness here, he has the nation fast, right? In his anxiousness of hearing this news, he tells the nation, we're all going to fast. And so they assembled together, and Jehoshaphat prayed to God, right? And so let me just say, when anxieties arise, it's time to pray. And let me just even go a step further. It's probably past time to pray. (laughs) Amen? Right? So here's some of what he prays in uh, verses 6 through 9, all right? He says, O Lord, God of our fathers... Are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save." Jehoshaphat goes all the way back to the beginning. He doesn't say, you know, last week God did something for me, so maybe he'll show up again today, right? He doesn't do that. He goes all the way back to the fact that God is the God of his forefathers, that God is the God of his ancestors, and he knows uh, what God has done throughout history, the history of his people. He understands that. He knows it. And here's what he knows, that God is trustworthy, that God is a trustworthy God. Not because he did something last week, but because he's done it since the beginning of time, right, with his people, right? He's taken them through, and so he knew the history of his people and how God had done incredible, incredible things throughout history. And so I have a question for you. Are you united with historical Christianity? Am I united with historical Christianity And what I mean by that, maybe taking it a bit further, is have you embraced the true God of the Bible? Or are you and have you been creating a God based on your own wants and desires? Because here's the deal. We can rely upon the eternal God. He is trustworthy. The eternal God is trustworthy. But woe to us if we try to rely on a God that we create in our own minds. Because let me just tell you, that God, little g, is faulty and it's going to fail. How many times do we see in Scripture about, you know, warnings about these engraved or carved idols, right? Who places their trust in these carved idols, right? And we might not carve idols. I might, you might not get a piece of wood and whittle it down to an idol and put it up, you know, in your home, But let me tell you, there's a lot of things that we can idolize, right, that can become a little G God in our lives. And so, you know, are we truly following the one and true God of the Bible, the historical and true uh, God of the Bible? I think that's a great question to continually keep in mind. 
Now, there's somebody called Dr. Carolyn Leaf, and she's the author of some books, and consists, uh, her title consists of words that I, I don't really comprehend or am not going to try to even pronounce here, okay? But her book uh, is called Switch on Your Brain, and here's what she writes in it. She says, it's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain in such, to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. So, we often say this, and I don't know if we truly believe it, uh, you know, but we often say this, that the purpose of prayer is to change us, right? The purpose of prayer is to change us, not to get God to do our will, not to get God to, you know, convince him to do what we want him to do, but to change us and to change our will to his. And what we see in this is that it truly, literally does change us when we take the time to pray. So when we worry and meditate on negative thoughts, what we're doing is training ourselves to be anxious or negative or to be worrisome people, right? Worry's been described as this, a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a deep channel into which all other thoughts are drained, right? Now, the most used word in Scripture for anxiety is the Greek word merimnao, okay, merimnao, and it means to take thought of or to be anxious or to care for or look out for. So oftentimes in life, we become anxious because we care so deeply about something, right, that we're fearful of some unfavorable outcome that might happen. You know, what I'm, when I said earlier about thinking ahead to what might happen, frankly, that's the type of thing that brings us a lot of anxiousness in life. Why? Because we care deeply about it, right? You know, I don't know, uh, if you have kids in here and your kids ever played sports, God help you, right, Okay. Bottom line, uh, it, it's, it's difficult, right? Aaron and Allie, both of our kids played sports, and uh, Aaron would play baseball. He played baseball uh, several times uh, throughout our moves here and there, uh, and he would pitch sometimes, right? And so I'm thinking to myself, like when he goes out there to the mound, I'm thinking to myself, man, I am nervous, right? Like I am anxious about how this kid does out there, right? Because, frankly, I was the coach that put him out there, okay? And so, you know, I'm thinking, will he do bad? Will the other parents yell at me and get mad at me and say, don't put your son on the mound anymore, uh, that type of thing? Or, you know, Allie played softball and the same type of thing, you know, but I didn't coach softball. Actually, Kim did, uh, and so that was pretty cool. But, uh, but Allie also, uh, they, our kids were in this spelling bee. And let me just say, Allie went further than Aaron. Not a surprise, right? So uh, they, they were in this spelling bee in their school, and Allie went to the regional spelling bee that was in Wenatchee, Washington, all right? We had to drive all the way down to Wenatchee from where we lived at the time. And so she made it to the regional spelling bee and literally made it like one word away from going to the next step. Okay, she was our speller. Aaron was our sports player, okay? So that's just the way it goes. But, uh, but I felt so anxious for her when she was spelling these words because I didn't know how to spell most of them, you know? So I was hoping she did, right? And so she made it pretty far, but she fell a little bit short of that. But, man, when you see your kid doing something, whether it's playing sports or whether it's, you know, uh, in a spelling bee or whatever it is, right, you get anxious for them. That's just the way it is, right? Now it's a simplified usage uh, of it. 
But at the heart of anxiousness, oftentimes, is just the fact that we care so much uh, about that, that we fear what could go wrong, right? And she might not spell a word right. He might walk every batter that he faces or throw all balls instead of strikes, right? Uh, so many things could go wrong, right? And, and again, this is simplified, uh, but so many things could go wrong. And I think it's natural uh, to think on what could go wrong when we deeply care about someone or something and that outcome. And in the midst of that, anxiety can creep in. A focus on consistent daily prayer in our lives will keep us away from the formation of the Grand Canyon in our minds, though, right? Like, let's not be thinking about all those things that could go wrong because all that does is dig, the, you know, dig that, uh, that canyon even deeper and deeper and deeper, and everything then falls into that canyon and runs away from us, right? And so we have to be careful about that. Jehoshaphat ends this section, and he ends the section in verse 9 by speaking about what he cares so much about. And what you read in verse 9 is what he cares so much about is the reputation and the honor of the Lord, right? He cares deeply about the reputation and the honor of the Lord. He says, your name is on this, God, right? And that's why he wants to see victory in battle so badly, and he was anxious about it because God's name and his honor and his reputation are on the line in this, and he cares deeply about that, and he becomes very anxious about what might happen as they go forward. Jehoshaphat carries on in verse 12, and here's what he says in verse 12. Uh, he says, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. Right? We're powerless against them, he says. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like you're about to get trampled in life? Anybody ever feel like that? Like you're about to get trampled in life, right? And you don't have any idea what to do, right? You've got no idea what to do. But let me just say the good news is that you can look to God. You can ask him and trust that he will lead you in whatever he calls you to do and what he wants you to do right? He carries on here. He says in it, we do not, let me see, we do not know what to do. Our eyes are on you, is what he says. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so I just ask this simple question today. What are your eyes on? Where is your focus? What are your eyes on? And that's a great question for us to keep in mind as well. Uh, Peter states in 1 Peter 5, 7, you probably all know this scripture, right? First Peter 5, 7, humble yourselves that God will lift you up at the right time. And that's Clint's translation of that first part. And then the actual translation says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Right? Now, who, who, does anybody remember who he was writing to here, who Peter was writing to? Anybody? You can yell it out. It's okay. People who are being persecuted, Right? In fact, if you read the introduction to this book, which all of you should read introductions to the books in your, in your study Bibles, uh, it gives you a lot of great information. But he's writing to the believers who were scattered among the Roman province, right? Among the modern-day Turkey is actually what it boils down to. They're facing great persecution and trouble. 
And so Peter states to cast their anxieties on God. Do you think they had an anxiety or two in their lives? Yeah, yeah, probably a lot, right? Probably many anxieties in their lives. God cares for and will watch over his children. This is what this scripture is saying. That Peter knows that God loves his children and he's going to watch over them. And the verses that follow this are pretty telling as well, right? About anxiety and cares that come up in life. He says, be sober-minded, right? Peter states to them, be sober-minded, right? Be watchful because the devil is looking to devour someone. So resist him. Be firm in your faith and know that Christians all over the world are experiencing suffer as well, is what he writes to them. He's stating that they couldn't and that we cannot, we can take this from it as well, we cannot carry these burdens because they're too great for us to handle, right? The things that you face, the anxieties that rise up, the difficulties in life, basically Peter is saying to them, and we can take from it today, that we are not meant to carry these things on our own and that we should cast our cares on him because he's able to handle them and he cares for us. To cast here means to throw upon, right? To throw upon. You look up that word, it means to throw upon. How, it's getting a little colder. How many of you sleep with lots of blankets on you in the colder times uh, of the year, right? There's only like three people. Really? Come on, people. All right, so, so I don't know if you're like me and you have all kinds of blankets. You're throwing them off in the morning, right? It's like it's a job, right? You, you're... you're you're like, oh, and so you have to throw them off. That's the, the idea that came to my mind, like throwing the blankets off uh, of you this time of year, right? How do you throw something on to God? Well, you cast them on him, right? You be honest with him. You tell him what you're struggling with. You tell him what you're dealing with. You tell him what you're walking through, and you're honest with him. I talked about this last week for those of you who are here. Be honest with God about what you're dealing with and carrying because guess what? He already knows right? He already knows. And so Peter says, throw upon God your merimnao, your anxieties, your cares, your fears, because he cares for you, right? Trust him with them all and then release them to him. Often when anxieties arise, it's also time to pause, right? It's time to pray. It's also time to pause. Joseph ends his prayer in verse 12, and we see uh, what the people did in verse 13, okay? So, uh, verse the end of verse 12 and into verse 13 says, we do not what, know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then it says, meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. So what did they do? The people of Judah did what? They waited on God, right? And not just part of them, but all of them. All of them waited on God. They brought everybody out, right? The little ones, the baby, it didn't matter. They were all out there waiting, right? And there's a time for us to do something, and then there's also a time for us to do nothing but wait on the Lord. And those are the hardest times for us probably, right? None of us like to just wait on the Lord, right? But we're called to, we're instructed to, and we see examples of that all throughout Scripture, to wait on the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean we do nothing, right? Doesn't mean we just close ourselves off in a room and just never leave, right? We don't do that, but we do wait on him and be still and know that he's God. Now, does that mean everything changes immediately and makes it 100% better and voila, everything's, you know, 
peaches and cream in our lives? It doesn't work like that, right? Now, it might get better immediately, but it might not. And so when I say wait on God, here's what I mean. You go to work, and you do your job, right? And, and you do it well, and you love the people around you, and you come to church. Let me repeat that one. And you come to church, and, and you're with your spiritual family, and you're encouraging them, and you're getting encouragement from others. And so you go about life, and you do life. You don't sit in your room doing nothing. But you go about life, and you wait, and you trust God. And ultimately, then, one day you say, you wake up, and you're like, wow, I'm like, God has taken me through this, and I'm on the other side of these things. And so we don't just lock ourselves away, but we wait on God well. We do it well. So while Jehoshaphat and the nation waited, the Spirit of the Lord came on uh, a guy named Jehaziel. And here's what he says in verses 15 through 17. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through this guy, and he says, uh, he gives the message from God. He says, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. The people prayed, and they paused to wait on the Lord, and then God led them forward. And he didn't lead them forward by their might, right? He didn't do it by their might, but by his own might, right? He's the one. Their job was to stand firm, to hold their position, and then to watch the Lord win the battle. And that's not easy for us. We're usually doers, aren't we? But sometimes we have to just stand firm, hold our position, and watch the Lord win the battle. And then what we see uh, happen next is a beautiful thing. And uh, in the midst of an anxious situation, they worshiped and praised God, all right? So I'm going to read verses 20 through 23 here uh, as we kind of close things out, all right? Verse 20 starts there and it says, and they rose, well, first of all, in that, in 18 and 19, basically, they just worship God. I can't see you, you're blurry. Basically, they just worship God, okay? They worship God in the midst of that. And then the day of, they woke up, and here's where we're starting, verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord our God and King. His Okay, anyway, uh, that... He says, give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever, right? And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up 
against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy each other as well. Now, verse 24 goes on, and I just love the Bible. It's so, it's so amazing, right? Verse 24 goes on, it says, When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies laying on the ground. None had escaped. So, we have this crazy story, right? These people, they, they sent out their singers who were dressed in holy attire, probably not jeans and a, and a, and a rain jacket, but they, they sent these guys out in holy attire, right? And they were to sing. They went out before those who would fight, right? Before the wars, they went out to sing. And what happened? They sang a Chris Tomlin song. And actually, Chris Tomlin probably got it from the Bible. That's my guess. But, but they went out and they sang this, and then God did something that only he could do. And all of the other uh, people from those other countries uh, turned on each other and destroyed each other. And by the time that the people of Judah got there, the work was done. Right? They walk up, and it's, it, everybody's already dead. And they're like, okay, I guess we don't have to do anything, right? And it's just incredible, incredible stuff here when we wait on God, when we know we're supposed to wait on God and we do it and we trust him to do the work that we can't do. And so my question for us today is pretty simple. Do we take the time to pray, pause, and praise God even in the midst of our anxieties and fears in life and taking the time to listen for his voice for the way forward. Joel, if you'd come up and, and lead us in a reflection song here, I'm going to read Philippians 4, 6, and 7 one more time, and then we're going to go into this uh, reflection song. And I want you to think on those questions. Like in the midst of life and the anxieties that rise up, do we Take time to pray, pause, and praise God in the midst of it, even when we feel like we should be doing something, like getting something done, right? Sometimes just by being in the moment in these ways, we are getting the most important thing done, amen? Do not be anxious about anything, but in, every, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God... Say that with me. And the peace of God. Say it again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And if you're here today and you need prayer, we're going to have prayer teams over here on the side during this song of reflection. Come receive prayer. We've got amazing people who want to pray with you because they love God and they love people and they care about what's going on in your life. So we're going to be over here. Come receive prayer and consider these questions this morning. We'll be right back together. We'll close service. Father God, we are asking you today to lead us and guide us. God, in every context of life that we go throughout our week, God, that you would lead us, guide us, that we would be people who take the time to pray to pause, to hear from you, to listen for your voice in the midst of life, God. Uh, and we want to be people who truly uh, trust you in it. And God, whatever the outcome, 
that we would be people who praise you no matter what. God, if we're obedient to you, regardless of the outcome of these times in life where we have opportunities to speak of you, Lord, we will praise you no matter what. But help us to be people who will do these things, God, who will recognize the need for them, who will recognize how powerful that it really is when we will spend time praying, pausing to listen, and praising you through it all. God, today, we pray that you would draw hearts to yourself through your Holy Spirit, God, that is here and with us. Lord, we know that it is your desire that all would come to a saving knowledge in you. And so we pray for that each and every week. And if there's anybody here that's far from you, God, that maybe today you were working on their hearts, that they would turn to you, repent of their sin and the way that they've lived life to this point, Lord, and turn to you and to the newness of life that is available through your son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice once for all time. Lord, that if we, it's available to us, and if we just say yes and surrender our lives to you, that God, we can have newness of life. So I pray that today, as we always do, Lord. Be with us. Speak to our minds. Speak to our hearts this week, God. Show us what you want us to do. Lord, reveal things through your word to us as we all go from this place and we spend time in your word throughout this week, that we would not just be people who open our Bibles on Sundays, but that we open them each and every day of the week and that we look to you and that we look to your word and you will speak to us as we do, God. We're so thankful for your word that is eternal for all time. And so we love you and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, everyone. It's Pastor Clint. I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Our vision at Family Life Church is simple, to create a safe and authentic environment for people to encounter Jesus. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please don't hesitate to send us an email at admin at myflc.org or connect with us via social media on Facebook or Instagram at Family Life Church Newburn. We'd enjoy hearing from you. Again, thank you for listening today and God bless you as you pursue Him.